Good morning. Good morning. I have no idea how it is the first Sunday of Advent, because that's just disturbing. Um, But it is. And uh, if you have come in person today, you've seen the totes outside in the porch. Uh, If you're online, uh, do stop by this week for those Advent devotionals if you want a paper copy. I also want to highlight the MCC hygiene kits that we take part in each year. Uh, We have totes outside with uh, the material, that uh, the bags that you need, and also there's a tote that you can drop off, the things that you have purchased. So please um, just pay attention to the stuff that we've put out on our weekend email. And, um, and if you want to take part in those kits, we'll be collecting them through the, the weeks of Advent. And uh, lots of people in countries around the world are in need of these. And they are highly practical and they are beautiful gifts of love that you can give as Christmas presents. So we do this every year. Uh, we give one of these bags for every person in our family. And then we usually do more than that. And uh, it's just a lot of fun to put them together. So there are um, people getting together on, I think, the 5th um, to do some sewing. And you need to register online to, uh, to take part in that. But if you want to help sew extra bags, you can do that. Uh, the details are in, uh, in the emails that we send out on the weekends, so do pay attention to those. And hopefully we will be able to surpass our bag count from last year, the hygiene kits. I don't know, Rachel, if you remember how many we gave last year or... Okay, so she said 300, so um, that's how many we want to try to surpass uh, this year um, as we take part in those. So we've been looking at the theme of hope this year uh, to start off our Advent theme in the devotionals. Each week as we go along in the Sunday teaching, it will match with the theme for the week with the Advent devotionals. And this week's whole concept is around hope. And, and I think of, of all the years, over many years for a long time, a lot of us feel like we need hope. We're looking for something to motivate us, something to carry us, because we all feel vulnerable. We feel vulnerable like this little um, bubble here in this child's hand. And it would take the slightest change of air pressure or anything touching that And it'll pop. And I wonder how many people feel that way right now. That if just one more thing gets piled on to what we're having to deal with, we're going to pop. And so we're looking for hope. We're looking for someone to put our hope in. We're looking for, uh, for something to carry us through this, not only this Christmas season, but this, what we all anticipate to be a long COVID winter. And what a wonderful theme to begin with. The theme of hope. I like the line in the video that talked about um, God put his hope in the hands of a scared teenage girl. Or the hope of the world was resting in this young girl. And so when it comes to this idea of hope, uh, part of what we're doing is combining this with our one story, how all of scripture leads us to Jesus. And we're kind of finishing off that very long two-year journey, periodically coming back to it, and looking at how the prophets... Uh, lead us to Jesus. And so I want to read for you today from the prophet Isaiah. 800 years before Jesus, Isaiah wrote this, and it is from, taken from Isaiah chapter 42. So let's read through this together, and then we'll walk through it kind of line by line. 
So Isaiah writes this to a people who are facing exile, being taken from their country and taken away to a distant land. He writes, look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. And then what I've done is I've given you another translation. So in your footnotes in your Bibles, this is taken from the Hebrew, the original Hebrew, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. This LXX stands for the thing called the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Their translation of this last verse is this, and his name will be the hope of all the world. So you got two different readings, but we're going to see how they tie together anyway. Now let's just walk through this. People are looking for hope. And let's go back to the beginning, and this is what Isaiah says. Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have put my spirit upon him. So you very quickly get the sense that this, this one that Isaiah is saying, you can put your hope in him, is actually chosen by God to bring fulfillment to the desires that we have for a world to be set right. And that leads us into this idea about, about justice, that he will bring justice to the nations. Not just justice to the nation of Israel, but justice to the nations, which is everyone. So he's not just coming to, to make Israel feel better about themselves. He is coming to bring justice to all of the nations. And he will not shout or raise his voice in public. Now, I like this. I like this particularly for our political leaders today to pay attention to, that he will not shout or raise his voice in public. He is not about popularity. And you need to understand that the people that were receiving this originally were not yet aware of the Messiah, Jesus, as we know him. And so you're left with a bit of a question of, of whom is Isaiah speaking or writing or prophesying? But he's not about popularity, and yet there's something attractive about him. So let's look at the next line. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. And this is this idea about people who are hurting. People who are already feeling crushed and weighed down. He's not going to come and, and just finish the job and put them out of their misery. It's not about inflicting more upon those who are hurting. In fact, he's coming to be gentle for them. And yet you get the sense when he's being gentle for those who are hurting, for the oppressed, for those that are going through difficult times, the ones who are contributing to the difficulty, he will bring justice to all who have been wronged. And you get this sense that the ones who are the victim have something to put their hope in, and the ones who are causing the oppression need to pay attention. And he's really zeroing in on this idea of justice and hope. He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. And then this last line, even the distant lands will wait for his instruction, or in his name will be the hope of the world. And Isaiah's bringing up this idea about, about hope, but he ties it very strongly with the concept of justice. And justice is something that I think every person wants. 
And if you think about when this pandemic first started, the very thing that happened is we looked for a scapegoat. So there were all kinds of theories about who caused the virus. Because if we could find out who caused the virus, who started this, we could probably bring about justice. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like I've been robbed. Robbed of what I wanted to do, robbed of what I was doing, robbed from being able to see family, robbed from being able to enjoy the things that we have typically been able to enjoy, robbed from being able to preach to a room full of people for a long time, and then when you do have a room full of people, you can't actually tell what they're doing because they're behind a mask or they're behind the camera lens. And so there's a part of us when we experience this that we're like, no, something needs to be set right. Something needs to be made right here. And, and that's this concept of justice. And Isaiah is saying, the one to come is going to bring about justice for all the nations. But here's what, here's what happens in our world when we talk about justice. Almost without fail. When we use the word justice, we think about somebody being punished for something that they've done wrong. And so the way that I am made to feel better about my situation is that whoever inflicted what I'm experiencing gets punished. And then in our, in our concept in our world, justice is about punishing the person that has wronged me. And it's almost like a tit for tat. So justice is, uh, an Old Testament phrase about this is lex talionis. You know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We talk about that being justice. And this is what's known as retributive justice. It's about retribution. And so much of our world operates on this concept of retribution. If somebody does something wrong to another person, they're punished. And the penalty that they pay needs to be severe enough to somehow make them think about and stop. And, and, and somehow it's a payback to the person that was harmed or injured or oppressed or victimized. And what you find in this passage of Isaiah, that justice is much more than just about retribution. And yet in much of our world, this is the concept that we live with about payback. And I would suggest that this passage in Isaiah is starting to hint at the fact that retributive justice doesn't go far enough. So when people say, I want justice, and they, and they push on retributive justice, I think the Bible is leading us to, to, to this awareness that retributive justice doesn't go far enough. Because it doesn't restore people. It just simply inflicts one form of pain because of another form of pain. And the writer of Isaiah is hinting that actually there's a form of justice that goes even further than that. You see, when you live in a world of retributive justice, you can never restore relationship. And at a national level, uh, we see how this falls apart constantly. So we have countries like America or the United Nations that are simultaneously going into certain countries and offering to help them with the problems that they're facing. And while they are doing that, they've got a stick in the other hand that they're bringing about justice and punishment and sanctions and all kinds of things 
um, to, to punish the people for some type of wrongdoing that's been done. And the difficulty with retributive justice is there's no restoration that's possible. So you, it's impossible to hold a gift in one hand and a stick in the other and expect that somehow people are going to receive that with, with gratitude. And Isaiah is tying this concept of justice in God's kingdom with hope. That somehow, someway, someday, the world is going to be put right. But it's going to go way beyond what we could ever imagine. Justice brings hope. And so you're, you're left reading this passage, and the people left reading this passage saying, where does our hope lie? Where do we put our hope? Isaiah is saying, put your hope in this person that I'm telling you about here, the servant of God in Isaiah 42. And when you stop and you think about hope, you know, it's worth saying, well, what is hope? And I appreciate this definition from Curtis Holtzen. He's written a book called The God Who Trusts. It's a wonderful book. Highly recommend it. And in the chapter about the, the God of hope, he writes this. In the simplest of terms, hope is a positive attitude or a disposition about how one faces a crisis. It's a disposition about how one faces a crisis. And that's a very uh, kind of basic definition of hope. And you could make the case that not only now, but in many respects, there's always a crisis taking place. And globally, the world is living in this sense of how do we find hope in the midst of this? And it is so easy to become cynical and jaded and distrusting of everything that's happening in life. And we desperately reach out for hope. And behind that, there's this sense of somehow, someway, sometime, this is all going to be made right. And when we talk like that, we're, we're actually talking in terms of justice. It might not be that somebody has, you know, literally done something wrong to us. But in a sense, we all feel robbed because this life isn't the way it's supposed to be. And we're at least aware of that. Every single person knows that there's something broken in this world. That things aren't, traject things aren't in the trajectory that they should be. And the hope is that somehow, somewhere, someone can actually change this. And this is what Isaiah is writing about. And so you ask the question, who's Isaiah writing about? He was 800 years before Jesus. Did he know who Jesus was? I don't think he knew about Joshua, the son of Joseph. But he knew about one that would come that God would use. And often in prophecy, you have this sense of, of an immediate um, answer to a prophecy and a later. So, so some will read this and think, well, maybe he's talking about Cyrus. The Jews were facing uh, uh, exile. And in chapter 45, you're introduced to this guy named Cyrus. And Cyrus was a king that would come after, after the Assyrian and the Babylonian kings. He's a Persian king that would actually let the Jews come back. And you can read about Cyrus and the restoration when you read the book of, um, of uh, Nehemiah. Uh, Ezra and Nehemiah are all around this king Cyrus that let the Jews go back from modern-day Iran back into the Holy Land to rebuild the temple. And so there's a sense that maybe Isaiah was talking about Cyrus, but the problem is Cyrus doesn't bring justice to all of the nations. He just brings justice to some of the nations. 
And Cyrus doesn't last forever. And so you do have this sense that there's one to come. And the earliest Christians, when they read this passage in Isaiah, they instantly go, Jesus fits the bill perfectly. So let's read from Matthew chapter 12. Matthew quotes from Isaiah 42, and it's just a tiny bit different in a few spots, but let's walk through it and see what Matthew writes. Matthew 12, verses 18 to 21, he writes this, Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. Now that sounds a lot like what happened in the baptism of Jesus. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Justice for everyone. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. Again, Jesus is not looking for popularity. But there's something about Jesus that is largely attractive. And that's why crowds followed him wherever he went. That is why people are still attracted to Jesus today. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Again, the, those who are hurting. When you see Jesus interacting with those who are marginalized, oppressed, who are victimized, who are hurting, you always see gentleness and mercy and grace. And yet for those that are causing that, he will cause justice to be victorious. And his name will be the hope of all the world. So Matthew quotes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And his name will be the hope of all the world. And so here's the earliest Christian saying, listen, if we're looking for justice, for this world to be set right, look no further than the Messiah, Jesus. And the early church has been experiencing and living out that reality ever since. And there's two symbols that I think are connected to Jesus that actually capture this idea of justice and hope. And they are hugely fitting for Christmas. And, uh, and those of you who know me will, will be so surprised to see me using this as a symbol of Jesus, one of them, and that's this, the manger and the cross. I've often joked about just being tired of that little manger, um, the little square cross thing with straw in it, because that's actually not an accurate depiction of likely what it was that he was put in or how the birth of Jesus happened. But the manger and the cross are two symbols of hope of Jesus. And here's how this starts to play out. Because in both the manger and the cross, Jesus is completely naked and utterly vulnerable and totally at the mercy of the people around him. And if we worship a God who understands what it's like to be utterly vulnerable and completely at the mercy of those, of things beyond our control, then he understands how you and I feel when life overwhelms and robs us and all we want is justice. He understands what that's like. But then the manger and the cross are also about one who is pure and beautiful and victorious. They are his throne and his crown. And they give us an indication that he's going to rule the world in ways that maybe we weren't expecting. Certainly the people reading Isaiah weren't expecting the way Jesus reigned. And Jesus is one 
who fits the bill with all the qualifications and credentials to bring justice to the nations. There's no guilt in him. There is no wrong in him. And yet the justice that Jesus brings is going to go way beyond retribution. It's not retributive justice. It's what we call restorative justice. It's a justice that brings reconciliation. So in Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, Jesus, between warring peoples, peoples that are diametrically opposed to one another, he breaks down the dividing wall of hostility through his death on the cross, and he makes the two one. Jesus brings people together. And justice happens, but in a restorative way. When Jesus came, he talked about bringing a new covenant. There was an old covenant system that wasn't working between God and his people. And Jesus said, through the sacrifice of myself is the institution of the new covenant. And covenant is about relationship. So justice in the kingdom of God, in the new covenant era, justice is about restoration and it's about reconciliation. And if you're looking for examples of this, they are everywhere in our world. But you have to look for them to see them. Let me give you a few examples. The Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa or the TRC in Canada between our government and the church and indigenous people. That is a wonderful picture of what can happen in restorative justice. And of course, everybody in this room and watching knows it's not a perfect system yet because it's being administered by people that are less than perfect. But they are pursuing what Jesus points us to. Always to see restoration. There's something called the Victim Offender uh, Reconciliation Program. And there's many of them. One of them is administered by Mennonite Central Committee uh, throughout Canada. And that is where uh, an offender is brought to meet the people that the offender is victimized. And they actually have conversation and discussion together always at the um, voluntary discretion of the victim. It's never something that is forced. But it's meant to bring about reconciliation. And justice happens. Consequences are lived out because of someone's actions. But if the end goal is retribution, I think in God's kingdom, that's not enough. Because in his economy... The hope of the world is in reconciliation and restoration. That's how justice happens. And only Jesus has the credentials to bring justice to its full extent, to its utter conclusion, and that is the restoration of all things, of people with God, of people with one another, of humanity with creation. And so when Jesus offers justice, it's going to go full circle. And one day, that justice will be administered with finality. God's judgment, that word justice can also be translated as judgment, leads to restoration, not just retribution. And those who do not want to receive that restoration are allowed to live out the consequences of their rejection of that offer. And the consequences of that rejection are ultimately also a form of judgment. 
And sometimes, when you want to have a wonderful conversation about final things and judgment, this is that concept of about how people, a loving God, could send people to hell. And the response is, God doesn't send them. It's something that they freely choose. And God says, not my will be done, but your will be done. And so in a world where we are looking for things to be set right, we need to put our hope somewhere. And Isaiah and Matthew both point us to Jesus of saying, he will set the world right. That's this idea about justice. And he will be gentle to those who are hurting. And those who are to be held account will be held accountable. But the offer of restoration will be there for both parties. And you and I both know that that means both parties have work to do with his presence and his change of heart that is possible. I want to finish with, with a story that Jesus tells about hope. And it's about a hopeful gardener. And it's taken from Luke 13, and you'll see how this fits in. Matthew is saying Jesus is the hope of the world, and the nations are right to put their hope in them. But in Luke 13, Jesus is asked a question about some people that had some terrible things happen to them. Some people were killed, and Jesus is asked, is that because they were sinful? In other words, were they just getting what they deserved? Was justice administered? Is this how God operates? Because we kind of think that's how God operates. And Jesus tells a story about a man who bought a vineyard, and he planted a fig tree in the vineyard, and year after year, he went to the fig tree and it didn't produce figs. It says for three years he came and it didn't produce figs. And he says to his gardener, uh, this is in Luke 13, verse 6, cut it out. This tree's no good. Get rid of it. It's only taking up space. And the gardener says this, give me one more year. Let me give it special attention. Let me give it special fertilizer. Let me care for this tree. And if it doesn't produce any figs this time next year, then you can cut it down. And throw it out. And Jesus is telling the story of a hopeful gardener, and the hopeful gardener is an image that he wants us to see of God. Because all throughout, um, in the earliest, uh, the earliest followings of the, of the Christian people and the stories they told about Jesus, it's about putting our hope in him. And then Jesus actually takes us a little bit further, and he says, not only are you encouraged to put your hope in me, but understand this, God puts his hope in you. And the story of the hopeful gardener is this, that, that the people who have ears to hear and eyes to see would be willing to receive what Jesus is offering and put their hope in him. And so the hope that God has for us is that we might respond to what Jesus offers himself and the justice that we long for of a world set right, and that will only happen through him. So we can put our trust in God, we can put our trust in Jesus, but knowing this, that God puts his hope in us, ever so excited that we might just receive what he's offering. And that fills me with so much hope that there are many places in this world that are going in the right direction. All around us, it might feel like this world is falling apart. 
But there are so many places, even in this community, where justice is being experienced. Restoration is happening. Reconciliation, not just between people and God, but people with one another, people with creation. And that is because of the one that Isaiah wrote about, the one that Matthew introduces us to, the God who invites us to put our hope in him and in turn puts his hope in us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are your humble servants, and we come before you today in need of hope. There are times when we feel helpless. There are times when we feel weak, and we ask for hope. We need hope for a better future. We need hope for a better life. We need hope for love and kindness. And some say that the sky is at its darkest just before the light. And we pray that this might be true. For some days, all seems dark. We need your light, Lord, in every way. We pray to be filled with your light from head to toe, to bask in your glory, to know that all is right in the world as you have planned and as you want it to be. Help us walk in your light and live our life in faith and glory in your name. Amen. Thanks for being here today. Next week, we're going to look at the concept of faith, I think. No, love. I don't know. Come next week and you'll find out. I can't remember what it is. Um, yeah, we will see you next week. Uh, do register for, um, for the various things that are happening this month. And um, God bless you. May your hope be in Christ. Amen.